0: Welcome to episode 351 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi and uh, you might notice a revisited there at the end of this episode title because we are talking about Mass Effect and yes, we did two episodes on Mass Effect 1 in 2018, but we're bringing it back for a very special Mass Effect month of Retro Encounter. But who's joining me and Commander Shepard on this journey this in this year 2022? It is John Olo. Hello everyone. And Wes left Hey everybody. Uh, Jono and Wes I guess I uh I I revealed my hand early but we're talking about Mass Effect this is going to be an entire month of Mass Effect where we do Mass Effect 1 2 and 3 in individual episodes through the month of November uh and 7 is officially Mass Effect day so we're making November officially month of Mass Effect here on Retro Encounter I'm excited to play these because I played the uh entire trilogy in uh, the early 2010s and it has been right around a decade since I've played them so I am excited uh, but I, I understand that uh, both of you have different levels of Mass Effect experience so let's um, talk about that a little bit uh, starting with you Jono. Uh
1: Yeah my experience with Mass Effect was I had never played it I completely missed it I completely missed every Bioware RPG except for uh, KOTOR um, which I mean we have talked about KOTOR a lot in the past and I loved KOTOR I thought it was a great game I thought it was super fun, super, but uh I just missed mass Effect, so this seemed like a really good reason to uh to dive in and really play the entire series um of course, because of that, I ended up playing the legendary edition, so I just missed the original, so there might be a few little differences between my experience and the experience that uh you and Wes had back in the day, but I think I got the gist,
0: yeah, and uh, uh my experience was not uh I don't know if not ideal is the term, but a, but a little bit awkward in the day as well i uh I played the first one on my college laptop in 2010 and uh because it because I didn't have an Xbox 360 and it was and it didn't have a PS3 version. Uh and but and then when I play I had to tra- tried to transfer my info over to Mass Effect 2 because I played that on the PS3, I had to play this um short uh short I think they called it a vid comic or basically a an interactive comic book where you made six key decisions from Mass Effect 1 and they carried over to the PS3 version of Mass Effect 2 but but there was a couple things that t- couldn't carry over properly l- l- like 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 punching the reporter um you couldn't you couldn't do that consistently and I think Kiri always dies in the uh vid comic version of, of of Mass Effect 1 transferring to PS3 but now I'm also playing on the legendary edition um which again came out in 2021 it makes uh, Mass Effect more accessible to players than ever and uh now I'm going to try and you know, make this theme a a continuous through line experience to the best of my ability. But uh, so I, I've been playing Mass Effect for around 10 or 11 years. Uh, Wes, what's your um background and experience with Mass Effect?
2: So I, I entered the Bioware world with uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, and from there, I played every Bioware game and Bioware sequel done by Obsidian uh that <laughs> that came my way. Uh so I played this pretty close to launch. It was the reason that I got a 360 as a as a gift from my wife um years and years back. Um so I I played it from the get-go. Didn't play any of the DLC until this legendary edition came out um for for the first game at least um but i since then i've beaten it like this is time number four or five so
1: you probably made quite a few different choices throughout it
2: oh yeah i've seen almost every angle that they that there is to see but i was like to, well let's alternate between male and fem- female shepherd and let's you know see what these combinations of things does and leads to in the third game It's just kind of a blast so i will never stop playing these games
1: that's another thing that the legendary edition did is they uh they brought the female shepherd model in line with the one that was in uh, Mass Effect Three, so it actually is them. looks the same in every game now. Yeah, yeah and it, it's, it's much better.
0: <laughs> yeah, there were there were improvements made to character models between 2007 and 2012. That's for sure. That's for sure. And uh, it, both of you mentioned KotOR. I played. I, I was not into BioWare in the in the 2000s. I think my first BioWare game, um, other than messing around on a friend's copy of Baldur's Gate 2 a long time ago uh i think was dragon age origins um i I played that uh when i got a not long after i got a ps3 in 2009 so probably 2010 uh some of my friends who were super into bioware uh insisted that i that i play mass effect because it was already out and about at that time and when i um so so i played mass effect and jade empire on my old laptop and then when i got a nice beefier desktop um later i i use that to play things like Bald- baldur's gate 2 remastered um and, and but i did most of my bioware playing on the playstation 3 and 4 and that's how i played through all of the dragon age games and mass effect 2 and 3 i attempted to play mass effect andromeda but there there's a problem downloading that uh th- with the download file for that and i think that may, might have been my playstation trying to rescue me from mass effect andromeda <laughs> um not, <laughs> that's not, not yeah yeah not exactly sure it, and, and it is it is a recurring problem too. I, I've checked forums and other places. There is issues uh, downloading Mass Effect Andro- legal copies of Mass Effect and I
1: just finished it, and I guess we're, this is the, that's the one we're not covering. I'll just say I actually really enjoyed it. It wasn't as good as the first three games, but it had some it had some interesting things that it was doing.
0: I'm. Yeah. If I get that copy working, I am not against trying it. But for now, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda is definitely a separate thing that we will not be addressing on the show. <laughs> but we are going to talk about all three Mass Effect games over this month. And uh, do, do, do give listeners, you, if you're listening to this, you probably already know most of this. But Mass Effect was a trilogy of games from 2007 to 2012, done by Bioware. What was when they were perhaps at the peak of their powers? A uh, a, a pretty large. Or a, a, a Canadian developer based in, um, I think, I think Edmonton, and uh, and they uh, I, they started out as a smallish studio, but as they got more and more popular and got bigger and bigger budgets, they grew quite rapidly. Um, but then they were acquired by EA in I think 2012 or 2013, and fans have let's say noticed a decline after that. Uh, Dragon Age Inquisition was a very good game. I think that was 2014 or so. But uh, their recent games, such as Anthem and Mass Effect Andromeda, uh, have not been received well. Uh, so, and and you know how fans are online. A lot of people clamor and and lament the old Bioware. But we know we don't need to do that on this podcast. We are going to celebrate the Mass Effect trilogy because when Mass Effect was hot, it was the coolest thing in the world. Like Mass Effect had, uh, it, it, it's a sci-fi um, RPG styled as a third-person or first-person shooter uh depending on your on your uh on your settings I guess and uh it uh, we 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 mentioned Kotor already a couple times I when I played Kotor for the first time earlier this year already knowing and loving Mass Effect I really felt the Mass Effect DNA here like like Kotor was BioWare's opportunity to make a great Star Wars game and Mass Effect was their opportunity to take everything they learned from Kotor and their other RPGs and create their own sci-fi world because Mass Effect is it, it, it's beautiful in a way it's optimistic like Star Trek it has hundreds of alien races and uh and um centuries of history like a Star Wars or a Star Trek and it is I think one of the most comprehensive and interesting video game sort of accomplishments of world building it's and and uh, and Mass Effect 1 a lot of Mass Effect 1 is sort of just introducing that world to the player but even in doing so I think it's it, it, it's fun just walking around the Citadel, the, the big shared state space station that most of the aliens use uh, and and learning about it. So, uh, uh, Jono, I mean, you, you've recently played through four Mass Effect games, which is more than I've played, technically. Um, like, and I know that you're a big fan of Star Trek and other, and other sci-fi universes. What was your reaction to just experiencing the world of Mass Effect for the first time?
1: Uh, my first reaction was, well, this is clearly a sequel to KOTOR. Like it was, it felt very much like Bioware's attempt at a sequel to KOTOR, except they didn't have the uh, IP uh, of Star Wars. So they developed their own. And thankfully, the folks at uh, Bioware, especially back then, were, like you said, top of their game. And they created a remarkably textured universe uh, with alien species that I would argue are as fleshed out as any in Star Wars. At least uh, not not if you include the uh, the, uh extended universe but like the the alien races in this are very different they have their own personalities but individuals of those species are also it's really difficult to pull off that level of specificity with alien races to make them genuinely feel alien while at the same time allowing you to relate to them uh star trek does it sometimes sometimes they do it successfully sometimes they fail miserably but i feel like mass effect really sticks the landing in that sense uh, and I, I mean, you're right. It's very much a combination of uh, Star Wars space opera mixed with the utopian future of Star Trek. Um, those two things really kind of combine. And what I really like about the first game especially is humanity is not on top. They are not like the leaders, like if it's Star Trek, Starfleet Academy's on Earth and the Federation is based on Earth. That's not the case here. Uh, you're the new kids on the block. You're really trying to get respect. You're trying to get, you know, the attention of, races who are much more experienced and have higher levels of technology than humanity. And I like that because it positions your you and, you know, humanity as the underdogs in the story. Uh, and that's a really, really interesting place to come from. But like, I mean, you can really see the KOTOR DNA, like, yeah, specters, you know, specter training, specter, like it's Jedi. That's the idea. The alignment of uh, light and dark is emulated with the uh, Paragon and Renegade uh, emotion, or what are they called?
0: yeah the, Moral- morality system yeah the yeah. morality
1: system like it's it's really parallel so this is a sequel to all of the systems of kotor and they just develop their own world and i loved it i just loved it i loved it more than kotor and i really like kotor uh
0: bioware has been dealing in morality systems in rpgs for decades uh and 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 the uh the the paragon renegade system in mass effect is binary i mean the, a lot of the time it's like do you pick the red option or the blue option Um, But it's much, much, uh, it it is somewhat, let's see, nuance is the wrong term, but it is, it's not the same as light side, dark side and KOTOR where the choices sometimes range from sensibly good to preposterously bad. In, in, uh, in, in, in Mass Effect, you're always trying to accomplish the same thing. Like your mission objective doesn't meaningfully change. And the ending of the game uh, doesn't meaningfully change. Um, uh, if you go Paragon or Renegade, like you still defeat Sovereign and are sort of the hero of humanity at the end, no, ma- no matter what you did. But it's it's more about the methods and the tone of how you do it. Um, it like in the the a Paragon shepherd is in general trying to do good and trying to um accomplish things in the spirit of cooperation, while a renegade Shepherd has no problem at all killing a few people to uh or even innocent people to accomplish their mission and is uh and is somewhat racist in 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 favor of human humans and against aliens in uh in the in their attitude. Uh and I'm I'm trying to use uh gender neutral pronouns here because uh Shepherd is a player designed character and um, uh, which who can be uh, uh who can present either as male or female, and uh in in particular uh I I think that fans in general have accepted that the female shepherd is the better voice performance uh, be, uh because yeah pretty accurate I mean I mean everyone loves Fem Shep it, it's uh, uh what what's what's her name she's Jennifer Hale yeah Jennifer Hale that's it she's done a ton of stuff Jennifer Hale does an absolutely fabulous uh, um job with the role. And, and I am, I am uh, rolling a female, a female renegade shepherd this time around. And I, and and I've mentioned this in, in other episodes, when I play games with morality systems, I usually go Paragon or like 80%, 80% good guy my first time around, because that's how I feel most of the time, how I want to play. I I like playing, being a hero in video games, but because I've played Mass Effect before and I never finished a a renegade run of Mass Effect two or three, I'm going to, I'm going to I am going to be a truly heinous bitch this entire <laughs> Um and uh, and I was I made some decisions that I would normally never make in a game like this if uh, if left to my own devices. So, uh, 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 Wes, um, th- I'm I'm going to give you like three questions at once, and I apologize. Uh, first of all, tell me one or two things that you love about the world of Mass Effect uh, and that you know that that Jono's Jondo recently experienced for the first time. And also, um, uh, how did you build your shepherd? The world really stands out
2: to me just because the different alien races are simultaneously very human and very inhuman. Um, some of them feel so drastically different, but underneath at that core, you still have characters that you can relate to and understand, even if they're like a Hanar or an Elcor who experience the world drastically differently <laughs> than we do. Um, which has always been kind of that that core holding everything together is that I've got this wonderful cast of really relatable people, uh, especially in Mass Effect One. A lot of them start out seeming like um, I don't want to use the term d bags, but I can't think of a better one right now. Um, <laughs> they are not friendly folks um, for for the they moment. They are difficult. They're, they're di- a difficult crew, but by the end of the game, you really do feel like this is a crew that you've bonded with, and that. Uh, You understand how they work, and when you have conversations with them, you know the ways that they want to be treated, and they might be different from person to person. It's not all just be nice all the time, be mean all the time. If you try to be too nice to Rex, um, he's not going to appreciate it very much. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> Rex is the kind of person where like, You get into a fight and then become friends Exactly but if, you, but if you try to make friends straight away You will probably get into a fight
2: Yeah, that's dead on Rex needs to respect you Yes, um, and, it's, and it's interesting Because he's probably one of the, uh, the more friendly Krogan around um, And that's still not, not saying a whole lot But there is room within those, those different species For uh, differentiation Humans aren't, don't have a monopoly on having diversity uh, which is not always the way it goes in sci-fi stories or fantasy stories or really any stories. Um, but uh, that said, I, I'm I'm kind of the same as you, Salosi. I always go with heroic. You know, I I don't want to do things that make me feel bad, and it makes me feel bad to be mean to people. Now that said, I've beaten this game a lot of times, most of them with a, a paragon female shepherd. Um, so I went with a male this time around. Uh, I actually tried a couple of go rounds. I decided I was going to do renegade no matter what um but i tried to make some uh some shep- shepherds of other ethnicities and every time i did and i fired it up and their voices started coming out it felt so terribly wrong um they have <laughs> some of the whitest sounding voices in here like not not to degrade the the acting that they're doing um but if you try to make you know any other ethnicity of shepherd and you hear those voices coming out there's such a difficulty listening to it um so instead i went with a meathead shepherd and i wasn't sure if it was going to work out yet and i was tired of coming up with good new names uh so his name is borpo shepherd um he's got a <laughs> bright red mohawk and a biker mustache and he's got like the thickest neck settings possible um and he's just an absolute jerk he's he's just like a meatheaded jerk and I've never played a character that way before, so it's kind of entertaining.
0: I, I you know, I uh, th- this is not how I went this time around. But my very first Shepard, I'm still very attached to. I think I had just watched um, the second Adams Family movie when I when I started before starting it. Um, not not for the first time, but like I had recently seen that movie. So I made a Shepard named uh, named Carlos Shepard who resembled Gomez Adams or Raúl Julia Gomez Adams. Oh, that's and beautiful. And, it, it, uh, and it it cracked me up for for 20 straight months or however long I, I played those. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I mentioned I, I did with, I'm going with a female renegade shepherd this time. And I'm um, talking about the diversity of your crew. Um, they, they, they really, I, I think to a degree, the crew, uh, the main characters in this game, uh, uh, other, other than shepherd, Rex, Tali, Liara, Garrus, Caden, Ashley, they come into their own a little bit more in later games because Tali and Rex, to me, feel almost more like introductions to what Quarians and Krogans are than, than, than characters in their own right. And they, they are characters in their own right, but a lot of their dialogue is explaining their culture to you. Because uh, um, uh, Mass Effect is, this was the uh, the era of over-detailed video game in-game court, uh, codexes, <laughs> <laughs> any information that you find can become a codex entry that you can and you can read through a menu like an encyclopedia article all about the lore of Mass Effect like th- this game is th- there's there's a lot of plot and it's good but there's even more lore and it can be pretty great but a lot of it is backloaded into a codex so a, a lot of the exp- there's a lot of expository dialogue between you and your alien crewmates learning about alien cultures of this world and it's mostly appreciated but as a result i feel like like the the Liara of Mass Effect 2 is different from the Liara of Mass Effect 1 in in a lot of good ways I think and and a lot of that is because Liara is doing things besides explaining pro, uh, Prothean architecture to you and uh and 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 the, the I, Liara Garrus and Tali I think are sort of like maybe the three signature alien crew members and they all are toned very differently in later Mass Effect games for the better. But, um, this crew, uh, uh, Jono, did you have a favorite crew member of the, uh, of the main six in Mass Effect 1? Uh, yeah, I
1: love Tally. I, uh, I'm a big fan of Tally. I'm a big fan of, like, we're yeah, not I talking about you. the, fu- yeah, I'm not, we're talking about the future games, but when I found out that I couldn't romance Tally in future games, I was like, oh, no, because I, yeah, I'm you- playing a, I'm playing a female, Oh, uh, 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 right, Taragon. right, right,
0: yeah. Yeah, right. I'm
1: playing a female Terragon, and Tally's straight, so, can't, won't work. So I just get to be, like, jealous, um, jealous of Garrus. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I love Tally. I love the voice acting. I love the accent. She feels genuinely alien at the same time. She's adorable. She's very young. Uh, that really comes across. And I like how she develops from the beginning when you first meet her to the end. Um, she's just a really interesting character to me and the society that she comes from. Because we don't see it in this game, we just hear about it. There's a lot of mystery there, and I really am intrigued by that. Uh, I just think Tally's awesome. She was also yeah. a, she was also a permanent member of my team when I was in the when I was out in the uh,
0: field I didn't use tally very much in this game because I rolled an infiltrator Shepherd uh, uh, and, uh, and listeners there that you choose one of six classes at the beginning of the game and each of your uh, six crew members are an an approximation of one of the six shepherd classes but but because uh the, and also like the three sort of theaters of action in this game are our tech skills biotic skills and uh, and firearm skills and tally, is really good at tech and my and the infiltrator class is like a mix of sniper rifles and tech skills so i didn't i didn't use tally or caden much because uh because there was some overlap of of the of sort of like tech skills um uh wes how did you roll your shepherd this time around
2: uh i went uh going with the pure meathead route i went full soldier and then i had uh got it garrison liara backing me up uh to cover my tech and biotic needs
0: I, i i used probably rex the most as a teammate um and uh, other, and other than him, uh, probably Ashley or Liara because I, Ashley for more firepower, Liara for more biotics. And, and biotic—I forgot how wacky biotics get in Mass Effect One. Yes. And <laughs> in, in Mass Effect Two and Three. Like biotics are. are uh, this is for the listeners, not you guys. I know. I know you already know this. Biotics are an approximation of psychic powers and uh, or, or reality warping powers, and they do a lot of fun stuff in the later games. Like you can pick up I- items and throw them. Or uh, or zap enemies with force fields, or uh, or destroy their shields by warping space around them. There are cool biotic skills, but uh, Mass Effect two and three. There's a lot of like trying to break down enemy shields. To you know, you know, with a like, play the rock, paper, scissors game of hit enemies with the right weak point before they're exposed to biotic or tech damage. But in Mass Effect One, it, it is the wild, wild west because you can throw biotics at anything as long as your mastery <laughs> level is high, high enough. So you can take the final boss or a giant desert juggernaut. And like and fling them around like your Emperor Palpatine or something. It is goofy how the bi- crazy the biotics get in this game. So so it's like it, it, it's fun being a biotic shepherd, but um also it's nice to just you know keep keep Liara around so she can like may, make it rain. Psychic waves, waves everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did a lot of, hey Liara, you throw them around while I snipe every enemy one by one. There was a lot of that in this playthrough for me. Um, uh, but uh, Jono, this is your first time playing it. Uh, did you like do a lot of research before choosing a class? And and what class did you end up choosing? I ended up
1: actually choosing infiltrator 2. Um, it wasn't it wasn't too much more difficult with Tali in my team because I was pretty much a pure infiltrator and uh my team was usually Tali and Liara. So I had a, I was really I was tech heavy, but it worked. It worked for me, and you're right. It is a lot of fun when uh, it is a lot of fun to snipe when they are uh, unable to do anything. <laughs>
0: um, the uh, the Vanguard class, which is uh, which is like shotguns and biotics in Mass Effect Two, they have a move called Charge, where you give yourself a biotic force field and just zoom at the enemy. And it, the, one thing you can do in that game is uh, is break down the enemy shields with whatever tech or uh, firearm skill you want. Then 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 do a, a biotic lift so they're floating in the air and then do a biotic charge at them so you smack into them like a bowling ball and they go flying into a wall where you can then shotgun them there, there's i'm not <laughs> sure there's anything more satisfying in that game than than than, <laughs> than 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 vanguard biotic combos but this is the kind of shenanigans you can get into in mass effect and uh, which is you know otherwise a if you, if you play soldier strictly it it can be a slightly boring third person shooter but they give you enough tricks and enough skills and enough sci-fi flavor that it's definitely more than that.
1: Yeah, and you can use your... Uh, in this game, you can use your allies' skills, so that gives you an extra little bit of uh, uh, choice to play with in fights. Uh,
0: yeah, team building and and uh, like, and like pretty good ally AI and calling your allies for specific skills are all possible this time around. I, I think it wasn't quite this refined in the old 07 PC version I played. Like they, they, That's they, ma- Yeah, yeah, they, they've made improvements to... To like out to like ally help in in this version of Mass Effect one that, that I think that were probably pulled pulled in from two or three if, if memory serves
2: yeah the legendary edition of Mass Effect one is by far the most changed from the original and it's all to give it a little bit more parody make it a little bit more playable by modern audiences and I think it does a pretty good job it's still an older style RPG but I think it works
0: yeah I, I had an absolute blast replaying this this is going to be a very effusive podcast. Um, but let's get into the actual story a little bit. Uh, uh Shepard is a, I think a Lieutenant commander on a ship called the Normandy, which is captained by, uh, by, is, is, is it Keith Anderson or just Anderson? I'm, I'm, I'm confusing Keith David with Keith with, David Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's Anderson, Keith, it's David Anderson at, uh, uh yeah, it is, is Captain David Anderson, which I'm confusing with his voice actor, Keith David, uh, which is very reasonable but maybe if i call him keith anderson by accident again you know exactly why now but, it's justifiable
1: uh, admiral goliath <laughs>
0: yeah and, and, and you know the, the creator of gargoyles uh is the producer of young justice now and he brought in keith david for two episodes of young justice let just yeah greg weissman greg yeah, weissman
1: he, does the, he's the best i mean he, he created the best absolutely. Spider-Man cartoon
0: yeah he did he did the best marvel cartoon and the best d and the best dc cartoon of the past 20 years and he did gargoyles in the 90s why why doesn't he have millions of dollars for every show i don't know but anyway, um, uh, shout out Greg Wiseman. But uh, back to Mass Effect. Um, you you choose a backstory for your Shepard, so you can be a, like a uh, you could you could have grown up as a traveling spacer, or or a colonist whose um homeworld was attacked by Batarians, or a ruthless commander that uh that had that was the. The, that, um, you know, uh, led a doomed mission but was the only survivor. There's, You can sort of choose your backstory from a couple of different options, which do get mentioned in dialogue in this game. Mass Effect is great at remembering everything that you've said and done in in previous games. But you're on a ship called the Normandy, and you're being observed by, uh, by a specter, Named Nihilus and specters are like the giant council of aliens that rule over the space station citadel specters are their special operatives that are able to go around and do covert ops missions or, uh, or they have a lot of diplomatic and military freedom to act around in the in the galaxy at the at the council's behest and but there's never been a human specter because humans are not really trusted by the more established alien races that have been at the citadel for decades or or centuries before the humans arrived and and again the humans arrived at the citadel only a couple of only 20 or 30 years earlier, they had a war with the race called the Turians, which your, your, uh, your teammate Garrus is a Turian. And, uh, and three races in particular, uh, Asari, Turians and Salarians are sort of the main council of the, uh, of, of the Citadel and humans are trying to become the fourth race to have a seat on the council. But, uh, that, but they're, they're being rebuffed because humans are considered entitled and moving too quickly by the other alien races, which is, which perhaps fairly, uh, but anyway, so you're being observed by a specter because uh, Shepard is being considered to be the first human specter. Like you're you're basically under observation for this mission, and the mission goes horribly. Uh, uh, Nihilus, who actually seems like a decent bloke, poor R I P Nihilus, um, gets murdered by another specter named Saren, which is unusual because I'm uh, because both Saren and Nihilus are Turians, and uh, and you you Shepard, along with uh, two of your crewmates, Caden and Ashley, who are who are both human, uh, uh, like see this happen. And you touch a item, a, a device called a Prothean beacon. And the Protheans were the alien race that thousands of years earlier built the Citadel space station. And a lot of uh, and, and Prothean technology is always being discovered and uh, and implemented by all of the alien races. They were uh, again, it's a it's a you know precursor legacy thing. There, there are too many sci-fi stories where you find ancient technology by a super advanced uh, now deceased civilization. There's, they, they they do that a little too often, but in mass it's called the protheans so when you go back to the citadel and report Saren's actions they don't believe you because Saren is a trusted specter and the first sort of f- f- amount the first free mission or at least free roaming you get to do in the game is explore the citadel learn everything about all the aliens around me uh, trying to expose Saren's wrongdoings and uh John i have to ask you that this because the citadel i think has become an iconic metropolitan area of video games like like what did you think of it i was
1: really impressed with the way they did the citadel actually it felt genuinely like a uh almost a community of people even with the somewhat limited uh number of uh locales like it was really it felt very expansive and then you go underground uh and all of a sudden it opens up even more there was just so much to do it felt a little overwhelming at first Uh, But like most really good locations in RPGs, after you get to know it, you actually start feeling kind of at home there. Uh, And uh, you would really start to, you know, feel your way around. I think one of the smartest things that they did, um, not that everyone would do this, but for me anyway, is um, the keeper side quest where you have to go around and very quietly scan the keepers. I thought that was actually a really interesting uh, method to get the player to explore pretty much the entire... uh, citadel i mean it's a pain in the butt to do but it did get me into corners that i otherwise probably wouldn't have
0: gone i mean that's classic incentive technique it's, it's like it's like by by offering award a reward people will do their own work rather than uh will or will be compelled to do that kind of work instead of just telling them to do it. But but yeah, you're, you're right. There's there's a lot of nooks and crannies in the Citadel, and your early missions in there have you... Um, uh, you meet Tali because she was a... Uh, she's, again, a quarian who was a, 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 a people without a home planet because it was overrun by their former AI slaves called the Geth, and now they are continuously at war with the Geth. Um, so she's a quarian on, on her pilgrimage to explore the rest of the galaxy before returning to her fleet. She stumbles across a uh, a very nasty deal between Sarin and a uh, and a local um, a local crime lord. Uh, t- um, uh, Garris is a Turian police officer with a group called CSEC c- or Citadel Security, who's who's trying to take down that c- crime lord. And Rex is a uh, is a mercenary who's um, who is like after a bounty on that crime lord. So like that's how you meet all three of them back to back to back, and uh, and you sort of they've sort of become your crew. Uh, and and decide to stick with you after seeing you in action, uh, shutting down this, uh, you know, just taking care of a lot of business on the Citadel in search of data to incriminate Saren. Uh, but uh, Wes, what's something around the Citadel that uh, that you either remember fondly or or like about this part of the game?
2: Uh, the fact that the game really does pull you around everywhere, and like every place you go, there's something to do. You're you're recruiting new party members. You're learning about new alien races. You're picking up quests. You're chatting with a overly enthusiastic fan like (laughs) the citadel is big and packed uh and it encourages you to go explore every single bit of it and i mean on on replays that can make it feel like okay i've done the citadel a lot of times and this is very front-loaded but even then it still gives you that feeling of like you're you're really getting into the world on the citadel like this is giving you a good feeling for the world as it's supposed to be operating before things hit the fan
0: yeah it, it, i mean it, it's very shiny with uh with, with sort of blue ceiling spaces and white buildings it, it's it's a very pristine feeling building which which makes the end of mass effect one even like seem like a bit of a shocker but it's a it, it, it's a cool giant space station and um but but at the end of these uh this first Citadel experience uh you um you are made into the first human specter sarin is blacklisted and your mission becomes uh and investigate these couple of things that are related to the protheans or Saren, and uh and that's sort of the the big midpoint well not not the midpoint but like the sort of the middle third of mass effect one is doing these uh story-driven quests in any order and also exploring the citadel and exploring the galaxy doing uh dirty work as a specter and uh Wait, wait, uh, John. I know you mentioned you were an infiltrator. Are you going for a Paragon or Renegade uh, flavor this playthrough?
1: Pure Paragon. I always play as Paragon. Uh, I do like being the hero, but also I just have trouble choosing the the wrong thing to. I just I play as myself. Not that I think I'm a hero, but like I, I play as myself in terms of my choices, and I just seem to be too nice a person uh, to be a to be a Renegade. Whenever I choose Renegade, I always feel bad about it.
2: There were definitely a couple of choices that we'll talk about that I felt real bad hitting the Renegade button for. There now. was
0: there's a Renegade option or uh just maybe just a sad option that when I did a Renegade playthrough because I, I this is my third time playing Mass Effect 1. I I I I did a Renegade and a Parathagon run many many years ago, but I never I never finished the Renegade runs of Mass Effect 2 and 3. So I'm going to be doing a full playthrough for the second time, but this is technically my my third of Mass Effect 1. Um or a full tr- a full trilogy playthrough for the second time. But uh yeah, I think part of why I was less comfortable this with this is because I love the alien races in Mass Effect one. I, I like having I, I think that Caden and Ashley are the two most boring teammates by far. Oh god, Caden is <laughs> boring. Caden sucks. Yeah. I am I I, Caden I, went, sucks. I, I I, I a rom- boring elemental. I romanced Liara specifically because the other option was Caden as a as a female shepherd. Um, oh yeah, like
1: he really comes on to you hard too, like in your conversation. Yeah. And it's he's
0: like, like he, it's the closest he's,
2: he has to a personality trait. Like, where do you yeah. get
0: off, dude? Yeah. Yeah. He's a little thirsty, and and also um I, I, we were talking about the romance options being a little bit limited in this game, and uh, and that's not a problem. For, first of all, this is when Matt uh, Bioware was really trying to figure out how to how how to properly portray characters of different uh, sexuality they, they 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 got better at it with subsequent games but it's it's a little bit too limited in Mass effect one and then on the other end of the spectrum you have Dragon Age 2 where all four of the main romance options are bisexual and if you're accidentally too nice with them you can get locked into a sex route which is even if you were mm-hmm. trying to avoid that so like so the, those are opposites of the, of the spectrum. By Mass Effect Three, they have it pretty well figured out. Several options: some are straight, some are gay, uh, some uh, some are bi, and they they come in many different shapes and sizes. And a couple of them can even romance each other if you're ro- romancing neither of them. So that's mm-hmm. there's they've, Mass Effect Three does a good job about it. They had not really figured it out in Mass Effect One yet. By Mass Effect One yet, no, um, they haven't. But, uh, but I, I, I love the, like, the different silhouettes and the diversity of your team so much that I am almost always wanting to go the path of cooperation in Mass Effect, which made uh, being a Renegade where you're like very pro-human and somewhat racist against aliens, uh, made, made that a little hard. I, didn't, I, uh, I, don't, I, I, I like the Paragon path more than the Renegade path for sure in Mass Effect. Also, it strikes me as a little bit weird.
1: I mean, most of your crew in like all three games are aliens. And it just seems to me like,
0: why would they be with
1: you if you are
0: really racist? I mean, I don't have a good answer for that. I guess because you're the shepherd and this is your favorite uh, shop on Citadel. <laughs>
2: it seems like your best friend would just be Ashley, the other cano- canonical
1: space racist on your, on your ship. See,
0: that's a funny thing. I
1: actually, I don't love the character of Ashley Williams. But the fact that she does have xenophobic tendencies and is kind of racist uh, and is very reactionary and conservative in all three games to me is very interesting. Like she's not my favorite character, but she really does something and she is memorable yes. in that sense. Whereas Caden is just a block of horny wood. Yeah. She's got yeah. a lot more going on.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and, and actually uh, she comes from a long-standing military family. If you go into her dialogue trees deeply, uh, you learn that her grandfather was a disgraced general. That was a, a bit of a pariah in the Turian Wars, which is, which probably fuels part of the, why she doesn't trust aliens. And, uh, and, and, but but is also somewhat you know, she identifies herself as a military brat like she has some interesting angles to her and for a, a character that is deliberately unpleasant sometimes uh, I I think they handle like the good and bad parts of her well unlike Caden who is just boring and horny and his big uh, story twist is that he gets migraines like thanks buddy yeah was, great, great job
1: I, I do admit I am curious how uh, Caden would have developed throughout. Well, briefly in Mass Effect 2, but, you know, his, as a secondary character in Mass Effect 3, I'm curious if the Mass Effect 3 version of him would be more interesting and fleshed out. But to be frank, uh, he didn't make it that far in my playthrough.
0: <laughs> uh, the, the <laughs> same a little is- bit, but not... <laughs> The same is true for me. And when I played Mass Effect 3 in 2012, Caden uh, was also unavailable then. So uh, we'll we'll see how... Uh, I, I guess we're not going to have a lot of Caden uh, later this month.
1: But- I just I love the fact that that choice at the end of the game happened. And it's like, you have to choose one. Uh, I actually am on my way. <laughs> Sorry, Caden. <laughs> I know it was but- supposed to be like this big oral moment where you're like, oh, which one of these two squad members do I choose? And uh, nope. <laughs> it's not discount Carth. Nope, a- nope. I. I was, card. Yep. No, I was going for uh. What was the what's the joke? Space Karen. No,
0: oh, <laughs> <pff. laughs> that, that, that's not bad. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Space Karen. But the uh, uh, you know, let's talk about the other um uh, teammates we haven't really discussed as much yet. There's Rex, who's a uh, a very gruff Krogan mercenary. Um, delightfully so, in fact. But uh, the Krogans, I thought, are maybe one of the best sub uh, storylines in all of the Mass Effect trilogy. They were, uh, they were a race that is very hardy and breeds very quickly, and are very powerful and warlike. And uh, and um, but but they were such a and they. There was a devastating war against the Krogans, but then they were somewhat calmed down and kept to their home to their homeworlds for a while. But then, when they uh, but then when a giant threat of space alien spiders called the threatened Citadel space, the Krogans were recruited as mercenaries again. But then there was a, se- a second Krogan con- conflict, even worse than the first. Because of the because like krogans were allowed to grow out of control again. So at following the, that second krogan war, uh, salarian scientists basically put in a uh, a gene bound plague called a genophage into into krogan DNA. So now around only one in one thousand krogan children survive uh, uh, survive childbirth or something crazy, and they uh, the, the the species is almost sterile by uh, but but not extinct. And um and Rex like feels extremely wronged by all of the, by by those v- events as a veteran of some of the Krogan wars. That like he mentioned how that uh that how the because the, they don't have wars to fight off planet, uh, Krogans on on their home planets mostly just fight each other and are and and aren't interested in, in building a better tomorrow. He even murdered his father who was a Krogan chieftain because because he was too short sighted in that way. So Kro- Rex is jaded mad about the the krogan situation interested in anything that could possibly stop the genophage because he's one of the most intelligent and for forward-thinking krogan's and even then is still like the gruffest and meanest guy on your team and uh and then you have uh on the other on the again on the other hand liara who is and the asari if the krogan's were designed to be a warlike alien race the asari were designed to be a sexy alien race i mean let's be real uh they can mate with men or women because they download data psychically and make mental connections uh, while, while both partners are aroused to, to impregnate themselves. They are all female and psychically influence people looking at them to appear attractive to all races so they can have as much diverse DNA as possible in, their, in the Asari gene pool. Uh, again, and they're, they, they're, they, I think they're like, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're blue and their, um, heads uh, are sort of anemone like in how they, they flow back without really having hair exactly. But yeah, Krogans are war aliens. Asari are sex aliens. And, uh, and, uh, uh, Liara, your Asari teammate is your only, um, is, is your bisexual romance option.
1: I mean, technically not. I mean, not to get it not to get into this but apparently from what i've read and actually interestingly they get a little bit into this in andromeda uh they are a monogendered species there is no male and female the yes, vast majority no. of them present right. female but you're right like it's they're just kind of the idea of male female sex doesn't really occur to them
0: they are unisex but they are female presenting to a uh, to a, a human like me they
1: they are attractive to both male and females
0: and, and and part of that is because they they psychically influence their partners and and their surroundings uh, and they're they're just a, a very biotically powerful species which is why Liara is your sort of main uh, biotics user on the team yeah
1: also oh i forgot something i wanted to mention uh I, we talked about it earlier but i wanted to mention it again something else that i love about the alien species and various members of your team for example are that they live very very different lengths of time like the asari and the krogan live uh upwards of like over a thousand years uh in their lives uh Salarians only live like what is it 40 and uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, the Salarian that joins your team in Mass Effect 2 is 35 and is considered elderly.
1: Yeah, and Turians yeah. live uh, about the same length of time as humans, maybe a little bit longer. So, all of the species have very different ways of looking at the galaxy because they have very different ways of uh, basically looking at time uh, and the way that uh, the spans of time uh, that exist in the universe. So, I, I just really like that. And, like, sorry like uh, Liara, is over a hundred years old, but she acts like she's maybe in her late twenties, early thirties, because in her life cycle, that's sort of where she is.
0: No, no, she's considered uh, barely an adult. So, that's like, true. so, so, she's probably in human years. She would probably be in the eighteen to twenty-one range. Yeah,
1: she has she has real grad student energy about her. Absolutely. Yes, she does.
0: Yes, because she's <laughs> she's a, a a Prothean researcher. She doesn't join you on the Citadel with the other uh, with the other aliens on your team. Um, one of the early missions is to try and locate her because her mother, B- uh, Benezia, is uh, is one of Sar- is sort of Saren's second in command and uh and and Liara's knowledge of Prothean artifacts like the beacon you found and connection to Benezia could be um useful to you. So it's generally I would always recommend new players do that mission first cuz then you'll get your final teammate uh for the, uh which is good. Um the, the uh, other options that you have for your early missions are um going to uh the planet Therum which is under a Geth attack. Geth are the uh the robot species or I should say the AI species. Um Saren seems to have recruited a bunch of them and they're attacking a planet called pharos which is hiding a dark secret underneath its uh its city its city space um and, uh, and, and let's stay in Theros for in, Pharo, in in sorry in therum for a second pharos <laughs> is different in in therum uh you do the uh wait no 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 Th- i'm i'm mixing it up therum is where you find liara mm-hmm. and pharos is where, uh, is where the geth attack is happening and uh so you basically infiltrate this uh the geth occupied portion of pharos and discover that um, that a corporation that was based there was doing hydroponics research on an ancient millennia-old plant species called the Thorian. And that village that you started out in is uh, full of humans with thoriat that are being psychically manipulated by Thorian spores. <laughs> so, after you discover what's going on in Pharos, you can... Uh, you can just destri- de- decide to kill all of the colonists to stop the the, the Thorian or uh you de- you can develop a sort of a sleep bomb uh like counter counter or, or antidote to um to free everyone of the Thorian's influence. So uh and and also like the Thorian ends up spitting out an Asari disciple of Benezia's that uh <laughs> and and you that you can choose to have her live or die and if you choose to have her live she will show up in Mass Effect 2 and 3. So so uh um, thoughts on on the Th- Pharos and the Thorian. Like, uh, is, is there a Star Trek episode of an ancient plant species that is controlling everyone with spores? Because it sounded like it could have been an old Star Trek episode to me. I mean, there's an
1: episode where there's a giant amoeba, there are episodes with little amoeba, there... It, it, yeah, it, it pulls quite a bit from kind of star, basic science fiction tropes, but it really works, and is really creepy. Like, the clone to Sari, the green one, that uh, the... Uh, that is spit out at you continuously you just keep killing her over and over again in the final battle in this place was, Yeah, it's a great it's a great fight
0: yeah like the thorian is cloning her and using her to communicate with you but you 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 do end up like releasing the 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 real asari at the end um i forget her name but uh but but she even like it, like if you're very very kind to her and let her survive she she she, she expresses a romantic interest in you and in, in one of the sequels i forget which but uh, uh in in two yeah but um this time around i was being a racist bastard shepherd so i shot her in the head see ya. ah,
1: yep me too jeez oh, i
0: feel <laughs> oh <laughs> oh you big softy you let
1: me live i'm such a big softy um I'm assuming that you also both killed the colonists.
0: I I, I definitely did, because, um, again, playing, playing very, very harsh Renegade this run.
2: I couldn't bring myself to be that harsh. I've never been able to do it, and I now doubt if I ever will. So I guessed most of them.
1: I mean, there's a difference between being... <sighs> I don't feel like Renegade means complete sociopath.
2: Although if you pick all renegade options, you kind of do end up pretty sociopath. B-
0: both are correct, but I am also intentionally being a sociopath. Okay, so yeah.
1: I, I like being a paragon, and I occasionally like throwing in an, a renegade option just if I'm feeling, like, well, angrier, like I want to punch a reporter, for example.
2: It's it's harder on a future playthrough, too, because I know how all of these effects impact later on, and I know so many of these renegade options I'm picking are going to hurt me in the future. <laughs> uh so many of them are the worst long term options
0: yeah i i feel that too um and and i am acting as a renegade with keeping in mind uh knowing how some of the end game scenarios can can go so i i might even make adjustments to my choices in mass effect 2 to to favor myself to favor you know to to make me a little bit stronger in mass effect 3 but i am trying to be renegade and even when i'm accidentally paragon it's like it's like well wh- whatever i'm 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 basically Playing uh, a mean character now, and and I, I care more about being consistent to my idea of the character than nailing every renegade option. But I'm but I'm still I'm still nailing most of the renegade options. I'm not gonna I, I am deliberately pressing the red button more than the blue button. But uh, uh the the third sort of major pillar to the main part of the game is Novaria, which you can only do after you recruit Liara. That's where um, her mom Benezia, is uh is stationed, played by a Star Trek alumni uh, Marina Sirtis, the uh, voice actor. Yeah. Yeah,
1: she's uh Deanna Troy. Oh, cool. And also Demona from uh, Gargoyles.
0: Oh, more more Gargoyles references. This is this is going to be maybe we should do a Gargoyles episode in 2023. Yeah, it's
1: going to keep happening. I'd be down for
2: that.
0: Uh where were we? We were in Novaria. Like you need to do some fun corporate espionage before that happens because uh, Novaria is completely run by corporations. It lends out lab space and uh and like and is a bit of a business resort. So you can go uh you you can like uh you you help a uh like an intergalactic in, uh citadel Interpol agent shut down the corrupt leader of Navaria uh to get uh and all just to get a permission to um investigate B- Benezia's lab that's out in the mountains somewhere, um and I think it, this is not the first time it happens in the game but this is one of the extended Mako sequences and we have not said that four letter word this time in this podcast the Mako is your little land land boat tank thing <laughs> that you use to explore the surface of, uh, of of planets and a lot of the optional content in mass effect is exploring the empty surfaces of a uh of a new planet and um and writing wrongs and making discoveries on it i don't know sometimes like your uh the uh falling with style of the mako can get a little bit frustrating um i i don't i i wish the game had less mako in it but it is a little nostalgic driving around on that Awkward six wheeler. Six wheeler? Eight wheeler?
2: Yeah, this is the first playthrough. I got so frustrated I had to like just stop doing Mako stuff for a little while because it even controls way better in this than it did in the original version.
0: It's bet it was better than I remembered it, and I still hated it a little bit. Still. I didn't hate
1: it. It was the kind of thing, maybe it's just because I was playing the legendary edition for the
0: first time and I don't
1: have like nightmarish memories of dealing with it from the original game, but it didn't seem as bad as people said. So it didn't really bother me. That being said, I mean, the worlds were bare. They're not procedurally. They felt, actually, they felt very procedurally generated, even though I suspect they were hand done at that time. But it, it, there just wasn't enough there. The worlds were too big, too much driving around for no real payoff. Um, but I didn't have a bad time with the Mako.
0: Yeah, it, it, there's something meditative about, like, driving around on a desert planet and look, looking for artifacts or uh or or crash ships and looting them. There there's
2: there's there's fun to it, but it was podcast time for me to be honest.
0: Yeah, me too. Um <laughs> <laughs> there is something sort of meditative about driving it around, but I, I still think there was the planet surfaces were too vast and the Mako controls were too clumsy. And it's a little bit too easy to die in the Mako if you run into one of those giant uh sandworm things. The Thresher Maws. Yeah, so it's I I I, I wish there was less mako but i d uh, but i don't I don't totally hate it and the, the other i guess meme worthy gameplay mechanic from uh two thousand seven that's improved in the intervening fifteen years is are the elevators in the citadel
2: <laughs> big difference but,
0: uh, there there was so much loading and engineering challenges to having mass effect one run well in the three sixty in two thousand and seven that they made elevator loading times very, very long and gave you a lot of inter-character dialogue or like PA system dialogue happening while you're on the elevator. And, uh, but, but for this one, like the dialogue is still there. The PA stuff is still there. You even you learn about some side quests from just regular Citadel announcements that you can investigate later. Um, but it, it's, it's not nearly, uh, the, the load times are not nearly as, as long or clumsy this time around. Um, but, but again, that's what 15 years and superior hardware will do. Uh, <laughs> Uh but but at, back to Novaria, um you eventually confront Benezia in this lab, you have to solve some puzzles, uh and uh, and she eventually she she reveals that Saren has some kind of mind control ability that is able to influence anyone around him, and that's part of uh that that's part of why he's gotten followers so quickly and uh and is even more dangerous than you suspected. But she uh she she dies in her like last few moments of lucidity. And uh And also that the station where she was running experiments is overrun with Rachni, those spider aliens that I mentioned from the Krogan conflict a little while ago. And uh, at the end of the lab, you find a tube containing a Rachni queen who was hatched from an egg and then bred into these other Rachni. Uh, And you're able to communicate with the Rachni queen with the help of some Asari. And uh, another one of the big decision points in this game, along sort of similar to the Thorian stuff, you can choose to 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 kill off this rat, this final rachni and make this species go instinct for good or set it free into space where it can uh, possibly help you later or possibly create a new rachni threat. So uh, I got to ask, this is pretty clear. Paragon pity, the rachni renegade, kill the rachni. Did you set uh, kill the rachni queen or set her free? I set her free because I'm a paragon.
2: (laughs) I killed her and it hurt me emotionally. That is not a pleasant scene.
0: I killed her as well. I, it, it is it is she begs for her life she says it's okay to kill her children that that they've made in this lab because they aren't true rachni that she hasn't been able to properly acclimate um so so they, they make you feel okay about killing the rachni that are attacking you in the base which i guess is appreciated but uh, it, it does hurt killing this this suffering uh fi- final member of her own species um but i i killed her this time i was i was I knew I was going to kill her going in and I, 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 I pressed the button.
1: Here comes Salosi Shepard making the hard choices.
0: Yep. Uh, well, they're they're hard for Michael Solace. Quite easy, quite easy for Solace Shepherd. Solace <laughs> Shepherd's a jerk.
2: So I'm not. I'm not going to lie. This is the point where I had to like make the hard decision. We're like, okay, is this actually a renegade run? I've gone purely renegade up to this point, but this is what I can't return from.
0: I had one decision that was much harder. I, there was one really hard decision for me in this game, and that we're going to talk about it in just a minute. Because uh, after you take care of Pharos and Novaria, um, you you. Uh, uh, you're able to have enough clues from the Prothean artifacts that you find, and from the information from Benezia, um that uh, Saren has a base on uh, planet Vermeyer. and and Vermeier is is sort of where the end game of the game begins. You can still do side quests at this point, but Vermeier is a big deal because it, it's a special infiltration min- mission with a uh, w- with a Salarian military officer named Kirahi. And uh, so you and this team of Salarians uh, got to Mako in- into the planet and sneak past all of. Uh, Saren's defenses and attack a uh, attack his uh, some kind of weapons laboratory that he has going on there uh and at, at around midway through the Vermeyer mission um you learn that one of the projects they're working on in Vermeer is a cure to the krogan gen- genophage and your orders are to destroy everything there but rex pulls a gun on you and says basically hold up a minute if there's information or, or data here that can help cure the genophage then we need to salvage it and the thing about this decision is, if you have a very high Paragon persuade rating, then you can talk him down, and uh, and Rex will agree that 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 if they if you if you're able to cure it, then it can still be cured in the future. Or if you're uh, if you are have a very high Renegade score, you can persuade Rex via intimidation that to, to stand down because again Rex it, like um, respects your 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 strength and prowess. But if you're me you're going to deliberately fail both of those persuasion checks and shoot Rex in the head. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. In both of my runs 10 years ago or so, I, I, uh, I again, one Paragon, one Renegade, I let Rex survive because I like him too much. But this time I'm like, I, you know, I've never tried Mass Effect 2 with no Rex in it because Rex features prominently in Mass Effect 2 and 3 if he yep. survives the events of 1. But I'm I'm trying the other path now. I uh, I am going the road less traveled by, and uh, I'm gonna see what happens with uh, Rex's brother in charge of the Krogans in Mass Effect 2 instead of Rex himself. But it felt bad because yeah, I uh, I, I like Rex. I didn't I didn't want to. It was I, I felt like the kid in old Yeller. I didn't want to do it. But I, but I did it.
1: Oh, you shot him. You could have just let Ashley do it because you know it's Ashley.
0: No, I felt like I had to do the shot myself. It was uh, it, the way I'm playing this Shepherd. It's it. it uh, uh, they take care of things in their own hands. So I, I shot Rex. Didn't feel good though. Nope. But um, after Rex dies and you uh, go to the end of the facility, uh, you you run into some people that were there against their will. But they all of them mention that uh that uh Saren and his ship are able to. Create a weird influence over people, and the part of the reason they were uh, researching the Thorian were to try to see what other forms of mind control are possible uh, for Rex to expand. Sorry, for Saren to expand his power, but uh, you're eventually confronted by not exact. Well, you do fight Saren, and you are confronted by him, but but you also are directly in communication with Saren's ship because his weird squid-looking ship is a sentient being on its own. And, and by using its, uh, unusual mind control abilities is able to dominate the minds of anyone that stays in its, any organic being that stays in its vicinity long enough. And the geth who are an AI species view sovereign as a God, because it's a, such a highly evolved, uh, inorganic life form. And, uh, those ships called reapers were the apocalypse that wiped out the protheans thousands of years earlier. And so, uh, the way sovereign describes it is that every several thousand years, the, um, they harvest or wipe out all organic life in the galaxy and then retreat back into dark space let civilization grow again let them discover the ancient artifacts that we thought were prothean all this time but really were reaper artifacts and let and and once civilization thrives to a certain level uh the reapers come back and wipe out civilization again and this has happened an indeterminate number of times possibly millions or billions of years so the game Like Mass Effect goes from we need to stop Saren and whatever he's doing to we need to stop the next apocalyptic robot ship event. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, uh, but the problem is, um, going back to the Citadel, uh, uh, no one believes this, this, uh, this credible Reaper threat. Um, and, 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 but you do know where Saren's last, uh, next destination is. It's a planet called Ilos. And, uh, and Ilos is sort of where the end game of Mass Effect 1 really begins. But before we go to Ilos, um, There's a lot of freedom that you have to do side quests in the middle of all this stuff. Basically, once you leave the Citadel for the first time, there's an unbelievable amount of things available to you. Um, What were some of your favorite or most memorable side quests that we did around the galaxy? I I have a specific answer, but let's have one of you go first. Uh, For me,
1: it's the Cerberus side quest. Uh, I like the fact that, first off, humanity is not all on the same page. Uh, There are different factions out there who have different beliefs uh, about humanity and if humanity should uh basically dominate uh the galaxy so they're kind of human supremacists uh and they have resources and th- there's an entire uh quest chain that happens which is not amazing but it does set up something that is a massive payoff in mass effect 2 which is i mean if if anyone's listening to this they probably know what happens i'm just going to say it you kind of you join cerberus in the second reluctantly but you're you're a member of Cerberus. So by doing this quest chain, it really gives you some background into the kind of uh horrible, morally gray experiments and things that this organization is doing, which makes all of the choices that you make in Mass Effect 2 inherently more interesting and difficult. So I like what that did. I like that setup.
0: There there are several Cerberus side quests. Like you you clash with the clandestine organization, uh, for that, that's pro human and anti alien Cerberus many times, but there's one sort of big one where you uncover a big, uh, a conspiracy from, uh, and, and it ends up with it, with the death of a, uh, of a, of a human admiral, um, that works at the Citadel, which is too bad. Cause he seemed like a nice fella, but yeah, yeah. Like, like, but, but server Cerberus being like a minor antagonist of in Mass Effect one to incredibly crucial to the story of mass effect two is is pretty interesting and and uh and going back there was more cerberus quests than i remember from my previous mass effect runs like i i i think i did more side quests in general this time around but i was surprised at like i I remember cerberus like feeling like they came out of nowhere when i first played mass effect two but no no they if you do a lot of side quests in mass effect one they plant the seeds for yeah my
2: my favorite side quest dlc notwithstanding maybe we can talk about that in a minute um (laughs) might be uh It's also tangentially Cerberus related because there's a a mission uh, that you get on Earth, uh, on Earth's moon rather, where there's this rogue VI acting out and doing just weird things Um, and you go and find out, you know, this thing seems more sentient, closer to an AI than a VI, which is like a big running through line about the dangers of AI um, throughout the entire series, which is one of my favorite uh, little through lines because it's it's all about emerging sentience. And, you know, does that life uh, count as sentient life? Does it deserve the same kind of um, respect given to all other sentient life uh, as much as they try to? Um, But that one really sticks out to me, not just because it touches on that, but because the rogue VI that you deal with, um, actually has a connection that might not be super easily caught. Um, to a, a ma- major character in Mass Effect 2 and 3 uh, that I might just save uh, for the next podcast. Uh, d-
0: does their name start with L? No. Oh, okay. All right, I'm, I'm in- intrigued then. But, uh, well, uh, and we should mention VI is, virtu- is virtual intelligence um, mm-hmm. beca- because uh, the world of Mass Effect is very concerned with AI, as-, as Wes mentioned, with the Quarian and Geth conflict, with this, you know, a uh, basically an AI hive mind state Going rogue and becoming a major threat is is like is the worst case scenario for AI that most of the Citadel species aliens are trying to avoid. Um, and I, and I I should mention, um, uh, uh, there there are several great side quests here. The I, I think West surmised that I was going to bring up the bring down the sky mission, which is the uh, DLC for the original Mass Effect. It came out in two thousand eight, one year after uh, Mass Effect One was uh, in in the out in the wild. Uh, it, it's really good. You have to take down a bunch of um. A multiple bases on an asteroid uh b- before it crashes into a largely populated planet so there's there's mako sequences where you shut down the defenses then you infiltrate multiple bases and it goes that ends up with a showdown at, at a at a large base where you can choose to um to attempt to save or, uh, or hostages or, or allow their deaths. And you can choose to spare the Batarian warlord. That's uh that's running the show or, um, or, or just, or, you know, or, or kill him. The, the rewards you get are really good. You basically get top of the line armor uh, for as a, as a reward, depending on your preference, medium, light, or heavy. And uh, it, it, it was just very involved and had a lot of great dialogue and some decision-making at the end, which is sort of, which is, I think, what makes a great Bioware side quest, but it was DLC in the original Mass Effect and is now, uh, but, but is baked into Legendary Edition.
2: You know, it's one of those things that it actually got a mixed reception when it first came out. And I think it's purely a value ratio thing where it was more expensive than people thought it was worth. But once you take that out of the equation in this Legendary Edition where it's just part of the game, it's just a side quest, that lives in that game. I, I think it becomes unabashedly amazing. It deals with gray areas that the yeah. rest of the first Mass Effect game just doesn't, for the most part.
0: Y- you know, I mean, I, I was I was at university in 2008, so I don't I m- m- I have more expendable income now than I did then. But I, but do you remember how much it cost back then?
2: Not off the top of my head. No, that was some time ago.
0: I feel like if it was less than ten dollars, I would have felt great about it. Because it, it it does give you a couple hours and is like is one of the best optional content in the game. But if it, if it, if they had gone twenty or higher, I probably would have been upset by that value by with that value judgment. Yeah,
1: there's no way it was under ten.
0: Yeah, I I bet it was fifteen or twenty. And but if it was somehow twenty five or thirty, now I'm now I feel outraged fifteen years in the future. But wait, but, but yeah, bring down the uh, bring down the sky is great. And you know, I am gonna zoom back to something we talked about almost an hour ago. Now, um, the al- we didn't mention all the alien races in the game. Oh. I got it. I got what? it. Uh, what
1: was it? Bring Down the Sky was originally released for 400 Microsoft points. Oh, so that's
0: for... $5. What are you talking about?
1: Never mind. Yeah, $5. That's all it cost. That's great. And actually it was free on the PC if you bought it.
2: Huh? Yeah, that's a that's actually a good price point. Like I don't know why there were complaints cuz that's a really solid piece of DLC.
1: Pinnacle Station was the second DLC and that was uh that was $5. Okay.
0: Was that the one that was lost to time for a while? And yeah, it still is. Okay, it's actually yeah.
2: not in there, but it's like Arena right. DLC, basically. So no one cried right, about yeah. its loss.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um, I, I, I remember reading about that, but I, I, again, no one made a big deal about it, so I didn't. Uh, it, it didn't bother me. But I, I want to go back a little bit uh, to one of the alien races we didn't discuss yet, just because I just because I find them so charming. Uh, the Elcor, who uh, who oh, yes. uh, they they express emotion through very very nuanced movements and by and by application of different scents and pheromones so they're not used to things like facial expressions or or, or in different intonation in, in voice so every time you speak to an elcor they say their emotional adjective before before uh like 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 uh before speaking like uh something like delight it is nice to meet you human or puzzled what are you f- talking about human like it's it's and, and, but they do a, that with a much higher level of sophistication than my than my example just then, and I, I, I just love them.
2: And it's brought to its best conclusion in Mass Effect Three, uh, where they have an Elcor movie star uh, who just prefixes everything with "badassedly," uh, which might be my favorite little bit of writing in the, <laughs> the oh, whole oh, Speaking
0: speaking of movie stars, there's another alien species, the Hanar, which are somewhat impressionable, somewhat uh, somewhat dim-witted uh, uh, jellyfish-like people. And um and 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 they uh they, they you know use unusual English referring to them to referring to all, to all uh all, all any pronoun as this one or that one, um and <laughs> there there's a a James Bond like series of movies in the Mass Effect universe called Blasto the first Hanar Specter which is basically like a secret agent version of a Hanar. <laughs> and that <laughs> I I'm not doing it justice with this description now but it is hilarious whenever you whenever you can hear a trailer of one of the Blasto movies in Mass Effect two or three, because it's funny. And this is also the exact era of way too many, way too much uh, lore in codex sections and way too many um, audio clues or, or audio diaries that you find (laughs) throughout, throughout missions.
1: If you're listening to this, do yourself a favor and go online and type in like Blasto movie posters. It's they're They're, they're great.
0: They're from phenomenal. Mass Effect Five should just be a Blasto game. Like, like who who would not be into Mass Effect colon Blasto? I think there was a nineteen.
1: I think there was a PlayStation game called Blasto.
0: Maybe there. I mean, that makes me think of Blaster Master for the net for the NES, but that's that's different.
1: I think it was an early platformer for the PlayStation
0: unrelated a blasto game sounds like a great time but uh that is that is not quite here nor there um let's go into the end game of mass effect one uh, you go to a planet called ilos it has another prothean beacon um you meet a prothean ancient prothean ai that uh was that uh that that was like basically containing the last vestiges of the prothean race um but uh but all of them uh but none of them were able to survive to the present day uh but they they do basically the uh, the device on Ilos that Saren has been looking for this entire game is an automatic teleportation backdoor into the Citadel, and is intended to be used as a relay point to teleport hundreds of thousands, possibly millions, of Reapers into the middle of Citadel space to begin their purge of all organic life in the galaxy. So, uh, w- what you need to uh, what you need to avoid doing now, or well, what you need to do is uh, um, uh, right when you meet this AI and get to the end of of Ilos saren has uh, teleported sovereign and his geth army into the middle of the citadel and they immediately begin wreaking havoc so what you have to do is follow them and defeat them before uh sovereign takes over the main conduit of the citadel and summons all the reapers from deep space instantly into the middle of citadel space and uh to do to do that it's again the final missions are, or the final mission is at a burning falling apart version of the citadel where you confront Saren, you can either fight him directly or skip part of the fighting with a with a uh, a renegade or paragon intimidation slash persuasion check, and uh, and eventually fight a like weird creepy uh, Robocop half sovereign uh, half. Have sarin as the as the game's final boss um but 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 before doing that you're uh you're you are you have to, to before you go to ilos you have to sneak around uh and and like use some chicanery to get out of the citadel and then you sneak back in with very similar chicanery you uh position a human uh, a, a fleet of of humanity's warships to try and uh take back the citadel from all the geth and uh and sovereign and then you have your uh, your second to last decision to make is uh you can the, the the, the giant uh, flagship that's carrying the main council uh, of, of aliens that run the Citadel is making an escape and you can choose to order the human fleet to rescue them or to wait until you have a better shot at, uh, at, at sovereign and let the council ship, uh, uh, like like um die to weaken the, to weaken all the geth. and uh and that's incredibly extremely obviously paragon is to save the aliens renegade is to kill the aliens but uh okay uh, can, can i assume that both of you went the traditional paragon uh, renegade route routes
2: yeah i went paragon sure did that sucker blew up
0: it sure did for me too because uh i mean i i guess my my uh, shepherd would have been best friends with Ashley's grandfather.
2: <laughs> my my favorite thing is uh, being able to just harass them throughout the entire game, where every time you call in for a report, you hang up on them almost immediately.
0: You can be really rude to each other in the dialogue in this game. It's awesome.
2: I, I once let them get just a little bit farther and they talked about how not funny it is. Uh, that I keep hanging up on them. I was like, oh, it's pretty funny. And then I hung up on them. <laughs> I,
0: I had to, I, I use neutral language a lot in, during the briefings after, before and after missions, because the really mean answers just straight up lead you bullying Liara. And I did not like that at all. I wanted to, I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't didn't do that. I didn't like being so mean to Liara. So I I was, I answered her neutrally a lot of the time and then was super renegade in other, in other parts of the game.
2: Yeah. The renegade things I can't do are the ones that are like, just be a jerk to your teammates. It's like,
0: no <laughs> you know and you know what uh, we skipped over this Caden is so forgettable that we completely forgot about the end of Remire, where where only either Caden or Ashley survives and you have to choose which one lives and which one dies wait wait wait
1: Caden but- can survive? What? you wouldn't I believe it you wouldn't have right? had no idea
0: who would have thunk it but uh R.I.P. Caden <laughs> <laughs>
1: in all in all instances here I think correct
0: yeah there isn't really a renegade or or paragon decision here because you have to choose which one you want to survive. I mean let's be
1: honest there's not really a decision here really it's <laughs>
0: I would have rather killed both of them and keep Rex, but I, I, sadly that's not an option.
2: If I was in a room with Caden and Ashley and a gun with two bullets, I'd shoot Caden twice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you can lose a lot of team members on that mission. Yeah, you can lose a third of your team straight your up. Squad, yeah, that's wild. And that—that's not the only Mass Effect game where a lot of your squad can die. But we're are not, we're, we're not talking about uh, future games yet. Um, we're not there yet. But we are at the end of uh, at, at the end of this podcast episode, roughly. Uh, at, at, you save the day, whether the council ships makes it or not, and then you get to choose whether the council conniving uh ambassador udina or the your best friend uh, keith david himself um, captain anderson becomes the first human member of the citadel council so like like basically your heroism uh definitely lifts uh humanity in the eyes of all the other alien races and you become the fourth official council species which is i don't know pretty rude to the elcor who definitely deserved a spot before the humans just just saying but uh oh, i mean all of us have played mass effect 2 before so we at least know a little bit of what to expect but what's one Without without completely diving into spoilers, what's one Mass Effect 2 thing you're looking forward to discussing uh, some weeks or months from now?
2: I think some of the connections that you don't really expect, uh, that you you can just blink and miss them in Mass Effect 2. There are dozens of, of callbacks to Mass Effect 1, uh, and so many are big that you don't realize the small ones uh, every time you go in. Like like the Rogue V.I. Uh, quest that i mentioned earlier that we'll get into next time
1: yeah i'm i'm pretty much on the same page i love the idea that inconsequential choices that you make actually have payoffs in future games uh, in ways that you don't expect to me that makes the world feel very lived in and uh yeah I, i i was very impressed with how they handled uh game connectivity continuity between each one of the games and that's going to be cool to talk about next
0: episode. Yeah, the the Asari that uh, was the thrall of the Thorian, and the the fanboy that harasses you multiple times at the Citadel, and the and the reporter that's really rude to you at the Citadel. Uh, they all can come back in future games, and they aren't the only characters like that. Oh, Conrad poor conrad verner i'm assuming that conrad Werner did not make it out of either one of your games uh, alive i believe he survived but i was extremely mean to him i, I i'm may- not his hero anymore <laughs> no I, I, I yes correct uh he's he he's alive but uh but like maybe he'll turn into an incredible syndrome style supervillain in mass effect 3 that i that i had never experienced before but w- we we shall see uh can i ask a question before we jump in i'm just curious uh, uh, what- mm-hmm. What were your romance options? Like, who did you pick if you picked? I romanced Liara, and in the next game, I am not sure if I'm going to keep Liara hanging on or if I'm going to get me a lizard boyfriend. Oh, yeah.
2: I, I also went with Liara, and uh, Borpo's a bit of a meathead. Uh, yes, I named him Borpo. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned <laughs> that earlier. Uh, <laughs> so he, he's going to be uh, dating around, I think.
1: Okay. I played it, I did Liara too, but I, I went into it because I knew it was going to continue and i really wanted to have uh shepherd be like well first off like a lesbian like not bisexual at all lesbian but also really monogamous and it really created a nice kind of through line throughout all the games their relationship which really worked well um also i was not expect i i mean i had absolutely no idea i don't know how i missed it I was not expecting the sex scene at all.
0: Yeah, surprise. Yeah. It's it, it's it's like a little bit of a Showtime movie in which it's uh it's like like like, like they're not uh it, it's somewhat tasteful for being a uh, for being a, a sex scene in a 2007 video game. It's softcore. Yeah, it, 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 yeah it, it, it's yeah it's it's softcore. They're they're not trying to hide. They're well, how do I put this? It is clearly sex. <laughs> they're, there's they're not being coy about it, but it's tasteful enough that it it's probably PG 13, probably. Mm. I wouldn't
1: say PG-13. I I don't know. Well, maybe R.
0: There you know there there's enough hard F words and S words that probably make this an R rated game. Um I I or, or maybe T for teen or whatever choice they make. But yeah, there're uh, part of the reason that there were some uh reports of salaciousness w- with Mass Effect coming out. Uh like, like well, were the alien sex scenes in- including the ones with the uh with that uh with the alien madam that you that you can visit near the beginning of the game. Yeah, my uh my shepherd has a
1: real thing for Asari.
0: Well <laughs> Well, my, my shepherd started out with a thing for Asari, but I think she might move on to either Turians or, or whatever, uh, whatever the hell, uh, uh, Oh shoot. Um, Whatever that whatever the hell Thane is in in Mass Effect Two. Well, it's funny.
1: It's not just that. Like my Shepard's not just gay, but she also has no interest in humans at all. That's wonderful.
0: Yeah, my my Shepard is I, I suppose bisexual, but um, she's also exclusively romancing aliens. So I, I, I guess she's at odds with herself. Like like she hates aliens and is pro human, but is also having uh, romantic liaisons with aliens. Anyway. um yeah, that's the end of Mass Effect One. All, all th- I mean, all three of us were excited to uh, to play it. Uh, for John, the first time. For Wes and I, uh, th- um, not the first time. But this is a game that is held up after uh, oh, around right around fifteen years post release. And uh, I- I'm really excited to get to Mass Effect Two. I have not started it yet. And again, we're, we're, um, this episode is being recorded a couple of months in advance. We're we're pacing ourselves so we don't overindulge in Mass Effect over three weeks or however long
1: no no you're pacing yourself I, some binged of us all are. Four, I binged all four games in like a month and a half
0: yeah that's true yeah <laughs> I, I, I guess I guess Jono played four games in as enough time for me to play one of them but I'm but I'm also you know playing a game a month for this podcast so I very true uh, so some of some of my gaming time is already spoken for but uh I am really excited to get to Mass Effect 2 very soon so listeners, if you uh, can follow my social media around a little bit, like look around where I beat mass effect one and where I beat mass effect two. And th- this recording was in between those. Um, but uh, I, I get, we are, we have been running for a while, just because we love talking about mass effect, but uh, it, it, I guess we're at the end of the episode. Um, l- listeners, if you want to reach out to us, the best way to do so is to email retro at RPG fan.com. The passive retro encounter is uh, some recent episodes on uh adventure games we just had adventure games month but uh, we haven't recorded those episodes yet at this time of recording so i don't know how those went so
1: anything can happen
0: anything can happen and also um we had one episode ago was episode 350 and i don't know how that went either so uh but but so listeners um you you in the future are uh, know more about retro encounter than i do months in the past but coming soon we are doing two more episodes on mass effect uh, one on Mass Effect two and three, but we're not going to have revisited at the end of the title this t- those times because we um we have not done those episodes on Retro Encounter before. Um, but listeners, uh, if you want inter- to engage with RPG Fan in other ways, you can comment on our message boards, visit our Facebook page, our uh, Twitter page, which is r- RPG Fan Com, our Instagram. Uh, discord youtube twitch something going on on all of those places roughly every day Uh, there's also a a relatively recent rpg fan store that we opened up over the summer um through t public you can buy rpg fan merch including shirts coffee mugs phone cases and uh, and pins with uh, probably more designs and more content being added to that store very gradually over the next uh, over the next several months or years Uh, if you want to support rpg fan uh, might i suggest buying some merch off the store but uh, rpg fan does not only offer merch and websites we also have two other fine podcasts random encounter hosted by you jono hello and also rhythm encounter hosted by you mike salvato hello that mike's not here i just I just wanted it to be symmetrical with the previous
2: comment. If I had a mic impression in there. I'd be there.
1: It's okay. I'll just take, I'll just go into like one of the episodes of Rhythm Encounter that I've edited and just like toss Mike in for a cameo.
0: Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Go for it. But anyway, um, uh, both Random and Rhythm Encounters are every two weeks. Random Encounter, mostly about current events and uh, specific topics and Rhythm Encounter, mostly about RPG music. You can listen to Retro Encounter or those other two fine podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, whatever channel you choose. Please give us feedback. We love feedback. But if you want to give us feedback as individuals and not as a podcast, Let's tell them how to do so, starting with you, Wes.
2: You can find me on Twitter at Wesilef. That's about it. Now, Jono. Uh,
1: you can find me on Twitter at Jono underscore Logan. Uh, you can send me an email at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or if you have something for random encounter, you can send it to podcast at rpgfan.com.
0: And listeners, the easiest way to reach me is via Twitter. I am at The Real Monsoon most of the time, at Evoker for Dogs other times, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. So, We still have a galaxy to save, there's this looming Reaper threat, Cerberus, we're not sure if they're good guys or bad guys, but there's a lot to unpack next week with Mass Effect 2, which again, but we're not going to record that episode for at least an extra month. Listeners, thank you, good night, and good luck.